Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. Hey, today's Palm Sunday. It's a pretty cool uh, day in the history of the, I guess, in the history of Jesus, but also I think the church too. And um, I'm going to start at Palm Sunday. So I knew it was Palm Sunday as I was preparing this message, so I thought I would start there and then see where it sort of went and so I guess this message tonight is kind of my thoughts in the last week about God. Is that okay? Are you ready? I'm going to read from Matthew 21 from verse 8. Um, so verses 1 to 11 is what Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry, your title in your Bible might be. Verse 8 says this, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, this is Jesus, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So this is Palm Sunday. This is the start of the Passion Week. Literally, this is the Sunday Jesus is crucified on the Friday. This, this is that. This is the triumphal entry, which sounds really strange that we would call it a triumphal entry because the Gospels are written after the fact. So somewhere around like 62 to 65 AD, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote that this is a triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem knowing what happened at the end. I find that very strange to you. But maybe they had the bigger picture. Maybe they could see the completed work of Christ. Maybe they could see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the early church. Maybe they had a bigger picture, which is why it made Palm Sunday the triumphal entry. Knowing how this very week ended in Jerusalem, I don't know how they could have done this though. From the crowd cheering and waving palm branches and yelling, Hosanna in the highest, to yelling, crucify him or our blood be on us. I think there was an expectation that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and take over. Would you agree with that statement? That he would lead a revolt against Rome and that he would break the oppressive system of the day and he would set the Jews free. This is an ongoing ongoing story in the Bible. If you've ever read the Old Testament, a lot of it's about God's people, the Israelites or the Jews, and then they sort of, and then deliverance out of the oppressive system of the day. Moses is a great example of this. And maybe they were thinking that this Messiah, this promised king, that he would release them of the pressure of Rome, that Rome put upon him. That Jesus of Nazareth would be like one of the deliverers of the Old Testament, but he did, but what he did, what did he do next? Sorry, I'm fumbling over my words. As I'm reading this, I'm like, what was I thinking yesterday? Like, there's not even words there. There's just like stuff, <laughs> I must have been tripping out. But what did Jesus do next? You see in the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as I said, John's a bit different. Any Johns in the house? Sorry, nothing personal. But he goes and he cleanses the temple. Like, so so the people here were expecting Messiah. All the Old Testament prophets had written it. This is why Jesus just rode in in a donkey because he fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about him. And then he comes in and they're expecting him to lead a revolutionary, maybe to come in and wage war, physical war and overthrow Rome. And yet he goes into the temple and he starts ripping them, starts turning over the tables, kicking the people out that are changing money because 
I've spoken about this a lot before, but it was because the system of the day made it so hard for those that wanted to encounter God to do it. I've talked about this before, but they had their own temple currency. So like, oh, you wanna make your sins forgiven? Sure, you just need to make this sacrifice awesome. How do I get that? Well, first of all, you need to change your money to the temple coin at a premium, we'll charge you that. And then we'll sell you the sacrifice. You want a dove, if that's what you need for whatever sin you've been doing, we'll sell you that at a premium. And then it's like the people, the poor and the oppressed could not have a win in this system of the day. So Jesus throws the tables in the temple. He goes in the temple, I'll read it in Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables and money changed in the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves because the people were profiting off those who just wanted to experience God and make their sin and be right with God. I think that's what we all want. Don't we want to know that we're right with God? I think all of us at some stage in our life have asked the question, God, are we cool? Like, uh, because sometimes it feels like our system tells us that we're desperate sinners and like we're almost ostracized from God, but we need to come to a place where it's like, hey God, are we cool? Yeah, awesome, thanks God. Every time I've asked him that, I've gone closer to him, I've noticed that God is more loving than I thought. He's more gracious than I can explain to you right now. But this is crazy. If you're a first century Jew living under Rome oppression in Jerusalem, you were waiting for this king to come and overthrow the Roman system that was making your life bad. Yet he came and he turned tables in the temple. The crowd following Jesus wanted them to change them, not change us. You gotta understand, this is written from the Jewish perspective. The people in the day wanted the Messiah to come and change the rest of the world, but leave them unchanged. Maybe you came to church tonight and we want God to change the rest of the world, but we're not willing to allow him to change us. This got a lot of crowd off sight, literally. His polls took a massive dive. Jesus' popularity just went down. They were trying to delete his Twitter account. No, that's a joke. Does, does this sound familiar to anyone though? It's no different to today. We want God to change everybody else, but leave us untouched. So after he turned the tables in the temple, Jesus goes on, he curses a fig tree. He teaches or shares a lot of parables. He's anointed at Bethany. He's betrayed by Judas. Any Judases? It's not a real popular name, is it? He prays to his heavenly father and sweats droplets of blood in Gethsemane. When he says, hey God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He's arrested in the middle of the night. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. He's denied by Peter three times. His friend slash betrayer Judas commits suicide. And then he's handed over to Pontius Pilate. And this is where I wanna pick up the next bit of the story. It's like I said, I started this message at Palm Sunday and I sort of, I just couldn't stop reading. I just got, got sidetracked until this bit jumped out at me. But we think we've had a busy week. Like that's Jesus' week. Like that's, it's like Thursday night now from Sunday. Pretty crazy week. So I'll pick up the story in Matthew 27, verse 16. And this is where the title of my message comes, Give Up Barabbas. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? So Jesus had been on trial. 
He'd gone before the Sanhedrin, that's the religious leaders of the day, and then he ends up at Pontius Pilate's place. And Pontius Pilate kind of has this idea. Some think it was a, a thing that did, um, what do you call it, like a cultural thing, like we'll release one prisoner at the Passover. Others refute that, so it's a bit contentious, sort of an issue, whether this is a one-time thing or it was a regular thing, I'm not sure. But he goes, hey, you can have Barabbas or you can have Jesus of Nazareth. As the crowds gathered before his house, I've already read that, Barabbas, do you want Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Verse 18, he knew very well that, he, that the religious leaders had arrested him out of envy. Just then as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. Any good wives there? Who likes receiving a message? Any good husbands there? She says, leave this innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor again asked, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted again, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, this is hectic, are you ready? All the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for our death, for his death, we and our children. Other translations say his blood be on us and our children. It's crazy, but it's what we needed, but it's a pretty crazy statement. I don't think they know what they were yelling. Verse 26, so Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Wait up, what? The crowd chose Barabbas over Jesus. Who is Barabbas and what do we know about Barabbas? I grew up in church all my life and I guess all I'd really heard about Barabbas was that he was a murderer. Is that pretty much the same thing? He was a murderer. He was like the bad guy. He was kind of the guy that deserved to be crucified and that's, that's the whole like, weirdness about this story. It's like the guy that deserved it didn't get it and the one that didn't deserve it got it. But the story is so much better than that. Can I show you why? Mark 15, 7. A man called Barabbas was in prison, was in prison with the insurgents, sorry, with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Okay, so what does that mean? I'll read another scripture, Luke 23, 19. I'll read from the New Living Translation. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So let's paint a fuller picture of who Barabbas was. Barabbas was a rebel against Rome. He was someone who was doing, willing to do whatever it took to overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire of his day. He was a revolutionary. He was trying to set his people free. Man, I don't know how I feel about this Brabus guy anymore. In Matthew 27, verse 16, in the NIV translation, this is only in the NIV, this is really cool. It says this. At the time, 
they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. I've read a lot about this this week. So they actually think that Barabbas' first name was Jesus and that a lot of the translations removed his first name as, not, as to not confuse Jesus of Nazareth with Jesus Barabbas. So the people of that day had a choice, a choice between two Jesuses. Jesus Barabbas, one that would use all means necessary to deliver the people and to overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire, not unlike Moses or the other Old Testament legends, or Jesus of Nazareth, a nonviolent carpenter who spoke in parables, washed his mate's feet, and was a friend of all types of sinners. So, so let's put ourselves in the story for a moment. Somewhere around 33 AD, you're a first century Jew, and you're sick of the unfair system. You're sick of Christians. Oh, no, they weren't Christians then. You're sick of your Jews, your friends, being persecuted. You're sick of the war crimes. You're sick of all this just debauchery that's going on all around you. And you want to do something about it. Which Jesus would you have chosen? You see, Jesus was about to suffer for the world. But Barabbas was suffering for the Jews. I've never quoted Pope Benedict XVI, but this is what he says. <laughs> About this particular crowd on that day when, he was on, when Jesus was on trial with Pontius Pilate, he says this, the crowd on that fateful day was a representation of all humanity, not just the Jews. And Jesus' blood as affecting rec- reconciliation between humanity and God. So Pope Benedict XVI thinks that on that day, this crowd that was outside Pontius Pilate's house, it represented humanity, full stop. That it wasn't just the Jews that chose to crucify Jesus, but we could all put ourselves in that moment. Does that mean to say that he would think that, I don't know, I haven't had a conversation with him. But does that mean that he would think that he would have chosen Jesus Barabbas over Jesus of Nazareth? You see, we want the Jesus that suits us. We want the Jesus that leads an external revolution rather than us personally undertaking the lifelong journey of internal transformation. We will never change the world if we are unwilling to change ourselves. Maybe in the Old Testament, Jesus Barabbas would have been a hero. Maybe he would have been like a star if he had been born more than 400 years earlier. He actually reminds me of Moses. I think he already said that. But Jesus of Nazareth was different to all the previous leaders. You see, he wasn't controlled by a sinful nature. He wasn't corrupted by flesh. He was without sin. He grew up in the world, but the world didn't grow in him. If Jesus' kingdom could have been instituted by violence, like Jesus Barabbas tried to do, then it could have been overthrown by violence, just like every other kingdom of the ancient world. But if this kingdom was about inward transformation, no power, no person, 
Death itself could not even overthrow it. If I've lost you, just tune in for the next five minutes and you're going to get the whole message. Are you ready? It's time to give up Barabbas. That's my message. It's time to let go of our ideas of God, our concepts of what we think he should be like and what we think he should be doing on the earth and start to allow him to bring about inward transformation so that we become like Jesus of Nazareth to the people he puts in front of us. Sometimes the life happens. Sometimes it feels like God didn't come through the way that you thought. Have you ever experienced that? It's time to give up Barabbas of unmet expectations. Maybe it's your finances. I'm not sure. I don't know everyone in the room. Maybe you felt like you were faithful and yet your finances aren't where they thought. Maybe your kids. Maybe you thought you did the right thing and your kids aren't where you thought they would be in life. Maybe that relationship, maybe it didn't end the way you thought it would. Maybe you didn't think it would end. Or maybe your current relationship is so much more challenging than you thought it should be because you thought God was helping you in it. Starting a family sounds great, but maybe you're here and you've got no sleep and you're like, how the heck am I gonna get through this situation? And you're like, God, I thought you wanted to bless us with children, but this doesn't feel like a blessing right now. (laughs) Maybe that one was for me, I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe you've lost a loved one. And maybe you're grieving and you're in a moment right now and you're like, God, I thought that you were good. But it feels like you didn't come through the way that I thought you would. You see, we can choose the wrong Jesus because of our preconceived ideas of how we thought he should come through and our plans not coming to fruition. Maybe sometimes we miss Christ because things don't turn out the way we thought. I'm sure people would have felt that when Jesus died on the cross. Starting off on Palm Sunday, this awesome triumphal entrance, awesome. This is, our, this is the people's champion. He's gonna overthrow the system that's holding us back. But Jesus died on a cross. And in Matthew 27, 54, it says this, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all the things that had happened after Jesus died, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the son of God. He wants to change your life. And not just circumstantial change, circumstantial change. But like I've been harping on about, (laughs) but rather transforming our heart, our mind, and ultimately our soul. I have no doubt that some people on this Palm Sunday crowd were in the same crowd when they chose Barabbas over Jesus. I have no doubt that some of those same people from the Brabus and the Palm Sunday crowd were at the crowd when they witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. But you know what? I also have no doubt that some of the people that were at the Palm Sunday triumphal entrance were at the judgment of Jesus outside Pilate's house choosing Barabbas, were standing by watching Jesus be crucified. But this is where the story gets good. I believe some of those people were in the upper room. I believe some of those people were there on the day of Pentecost. I believe that as Peter got up, I believe those people that said, wait a minute, maybe there was something to this. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, I believe that our salvation is a journey. 
And all I'm asking you tonight is, hey, get rid of Barabbas, give up Barabbas. Stop trying to make God fit what you want him to fit and start to say, hey, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak to me afresh. God, give me a clear picture of who you are and what you want me to do in my world. God, I'm actually willing to go on the journey with you and I may not understand Palm Sunday or crucifixion, but I believe there's a time coming when I'll look back and I'll say, God, you were good all the time. You were sneaky. It was like this Romans 8, 28, and you work all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes for them. It was like, God, you were there all along and I didn't know it. Man, can I have that 56 hours of sleep back that, I'm, that I missed? God, can I have those years of worry? Can I have my gray hair back or my hair back for some people? Sorry, my brown hair back because now it's gray. Or can I have my hair back because I was stressed out about all these things, not knowing that you were at work behind the scenes the whole time. God, I just pray right now. God, I pray something that I spoke of, God, that it would motivate us, Lord, to stop choosing who you wanna be and start to transform and look in ourselves so that we could become who you want us to be. God, I pray over every life, I pray over every mind. God, I pray, Lord, that we would start the hard work of our heart work and transforming our mind Lord, so that we could see you at work in everything. God, all our anxieties, our worries and our stresses right now, God, we just hand them over to you afresh. And God, we just say, hey, we're not gonna be hung up when it felt like you didn't come through the way that we thought. But God, we're gonna give you our future afresh. And from this day forward, God, we're in. We thank you for your sacrifice that we're about to celebrate next weekend at Easter, Jesus. And God, I pray, Lord, that it would motivate us to live more for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you come, Caleb?